0: Okie dokie, let's go.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Hey everybody, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense.
1: I'm Kai Rosdahl, Thursday, 29 February, Leap Day, which hadn't really occurred to me until like a week ago. Anyway.
0: <laughs> really?
1: Yeah, truly. Truly.
0: Do you know any of the people born on Leap Day at all? I
1: do not. I I do not. I
0: don't think I know anybody either. Well, anyway, happy birthday to, I guess they're called leaplings out there, Uh, but... Yeah. Who knew? There's a word for everything. Right. Uh, Today, we are going to do something unusual because it's an unusual day, leap day, Uh, but we are going to answer listener questions. I guess it's not that unusual. Anyhow, if you have a question that you'd like us to answer in a future episode, whether it be about a topic in the news or just something you're wondering about, you can leave us a voicemail, 508-UBSMART, or email us at makemesmartatmarketplace.org. So- To get to our very first question, which comes from David in Maryland, who writes, with all the discussions of the market's anxiety over when the Fed will finally lower interest rates, I've yet to hear a reasonable explanation of why they should do so. It's not like the economy needs stimulus, the traditional rationale for cuts. So why should they go back down? Kai?
1: So Milton Friedman. He of the University of Chicago and many other things, very famous and, and uh, depending on who you talk to, obstreperous economist, said very famously that monetary policy works with a long and variable lag. Right. Monetary policy, mm-hmm. of course, the raising and lowering of interest rates, long and variable lag. Exactly what it sounds like. The catch is that we don't know, really, academic economists don't know how long and how variable that lag is. And why am I bringing up Milton Friedman when he's been dead for a number of years and Ben Bernanke is the, I mean, (laughs) Ben Bernanke and Jay Powell (laughs) is the guy in charge. (laughs) Well, so here's why. And Powell talks about uh, this long and variable lag all the time. The economy does not need stimulus right now. It's growing, we learned the other day, at 3.2 percent in the fourth quarter of last year on an annualized basis, right? So that's really, really good. Unemployment is really, really low. That is also good. Productivity is high. That is also good. This economy is, at the headline level, sailing along. The problem is that when things move in an economy as complicated as this one is and as big as this one is, when things move, they tend to move very, very slowly until they move quickly. And the worry now about the Federal Reserve maintaining interest rates at the high that they are, five and a quarter-ish percent, after raising them from zero to five and a quarter-ish percent in something less than two years, the catch is the thing that Jay Powell and lots of other Fed governors are worried about is what happens to the labor market? Will companies begin to worry quickly about how expensive money is? Will consumer demand fall off because loans are so expensive? And will that happen very quickly? And will people start to lose their jobs again? Remember, we're less than three years from the pandemic recession. Well, that's not true. Three and a half years from the pandemic recession, right? So what the Fed wants to do now is very, very gently take its foot off the brake, right? You can think of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates as putting its foot on the brake to slow the economy. The economy's doing fine now. We don't need interest rates where they are that high anymore because inflation has largely been taken care of. Let's start backing off a little bit and see what happens. When the Fed starts to cut, they're going to do it really, really gradually. And they're only going to do it when they're satisfied that inflation is under control and it will do no more harm to the economy to keep interest rates where they are or to lower them.
0: I've got this visual now of, you know, those intersections where there's only a stop sign on in one direction, but the other direction can come zooming through and someone just like very slowly easing up like they've Mm -hmm. got a blind spot and they're trying to see if it's safe to cross the intersection. Blind spot's
1: a great analogy. That's a great analogy. Yeah. That's, That's seriously right, because... I I know I've talked about this before. Janet Yellen, when I asked her why inflation was low back in 2018, she shrugged. She literally went, I don't know. (laughs) And and these are the the uh, most—look, Powell's not an economist, but he's an experienced guy. But there are 400 economics PhDs who work at the Fed, and they don't know what's coming around the corner. And so the Fed's going to go slowly.
0: Yeah. I remember doing a (laughs) story— During the midst of the pandemic and one of the economists I spoke to and I was like, you know, everybody's predicting this, everybody's predicting that. And she said, you know, we need some humility here.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because
0: we have never been in an economy like this before, ever. And I think that's a good reminder.
1: Yep. Totally. Totally, totally. All right. Next one. Uh, Second question of the day from Steve in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Wants to know if increases to the minimum wage could be part of the recent rise in inflation. Kimberly Adams, this one's for you.
0: Yes. So as a refresher, inflation is the rate of increase in the prices of things. It's not just sort of things getting more expensive. It's a speed at which things get more expensive. And, you know, we've talked to lots of experts uh, across marketplace about inflation on this, including Betsy Stevenson, who's been on the show before. And they all seem to say, at least the ones we've talked to, that increasing the minimum wage has likely had very Little effect on the speed at which things are getting more expensive, therefore inflation. Right. And that's mainly because there are just too few workers in the United States who are actually working at minimum wage jobs. Right. So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, workers with wages at or below the federal minimum wage made up one point five percent of all hourly paid workers in 2021. Now, I should say, the federal minimum wage is only $7.25. hasn't gone up since 2009, which is wild to me. Now then, if you look at the state and city level, they have minimum wages that are much higher, which can make... Um, some items more expensive or even make things in general more expensive in a particular place. So let's say you look at D.C., for example. We have a pretty high minimum wage relative to the rest of the country. We're increasing the tipped minimum wage here. So it's become a lot more expensive to, say, eat out at restaurants. So... In D.C., if you're looking at restaurants and going out, you're going to see and feel that inflation in a way that maybe you won't feel in a place that doesn't have a similar minimum wage dynamic. All of that to say, though, um, it wouldn't necessarily be inflationary across the board because at the same time prices for other things are going down and you have to look at what wages and prices are doing throughout the entire economy and remember when we're looking at inflation numbers we're looking at the country we're looking at the national rates not what's not what's happening in an individual spot and so it tends to balance out even if you look at wages overall not just minimum wage A paper from the San Francisco Fed uh, says that wage increases, so that's wealthier people and people making higher wages getting even better ones, that hasn't really boosted inflation all that much either. And uh, Marketplace's Lily Jamali did a story on this, and I'm just going to quote from it. Um, rising wages are only responsible for about a tenth of a percentage point of the increase in the Fed's preferred personal consumption expenditures price index. So not all that much. A little bit, but not all that much. That's the answer.
1: There you go. There you go. Good answer. Yeah. Uh, all
0: right. All right. Next question. This one is short and sweet, and it comes from Nat, who writes, if we look at inflation since 2008 – it averages 2%. So why the year-on-year focus?
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Uh, Two uh, basic responses, one of which comes from uh, Julie Smith, who's a professor of economics at Lafayette, and one comes from me. The one from the actual economist in this conversation goes like this. Um, The Fed's mandate is twofold, as we know, right? Maximum employment and stable prices. And the Federal Reserve has decided that stable prices means inflation, give or take, 2% on an annual basis. So the Fed really is interested in what is happening now and in the prior 12 months so that we can figure out what's going to happen now and in the next 12 months, right? The Fed's more worried about what prices are doing now than what they were doing in 2008 because 2008... While, you know, for a lot of reasons, maybe a great year for economic reasons and the great financial crisis, not a great year. what mm-hmm. happened in two thousand and eight doesn't really matter. So So that's the professional economist's uh, view on this, one of one of her thoughts. My thought is this: hey, so the s and p five hundred has gained ten percent a year on average over the last hundred years. That actually happens to be true. okay? doesn't okay. doesn't do you much good to know that. If in the particular year you're interested in, which is, say, this year, the S&P is up, I don't even know what it is, the last 12 months, 30-something percent, Something or wild. or going back to 2008, the S&P 500 actually hit, uh, cratered and hit a low of, I don't even remember what it was, but it was down a lot of percent. If you go back to 2020, <laughs> it was down a lot of percent. What you're interested in is what is happening proximally in time, not what happened over time, if that makes any sense, Okay. Don't check your 401 every day. Don't count on interest returns and stock market returns over 100 years. Think about what it is over uh, what is relevant to you in this moment. And what's relevant to the Fed, in keeping with their mandate, is what's happening annually. That's the answer.
0: You know, the first time I ever bought any kind of stocks or financial investments was in late 2007. Oh, no. And For reals? We've talked about yeah, this. I remember I was, now. Oh, Yeah. I was so, like, feeling good about myself. I researched all these companies. I researched all these stocks. And I was like, this was before I was a business and economics journalist. I was covering just straight politics at the time. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, you know, do this. And I'm going to plan for my future. And I was in my, like, 20s feeling like I was getting in early. I lost everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because I had no experience in the markets, I, you know, sold at the bottom of everything. But I mean, m- most of the companies i had invested in ended up like going completely under anyhow, so it didn't really matter. But uh, yeah, that was that was hard. That was a hard, was a hard yeah, introduction to the stock market oh for me. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god.
1: Oh my god. All right, last question of the day. Chase in Ecuador asks whether employees who earn a yearly salary are working for free on Leap Day, which is of course <laughs> today, Kimberly Adams? Go.
0: It's funny. uh, Marketplace's Stephanie Hughes did a story related to this that aired on on Marketplace Morning Report. So the short answer is not really. You're not going to be working for free. But longer answer. When a leap day lands on a traditional work day like today... It does change the way that employees are paid in a couple ways. So it's much more simple for hourly workers. They just get paid the hours they work on a leap day because that is the law. You have to be paid. Mm-hmm. For salaried employees, a leap year can sometimes create an extra pay period in which an employer decides could decide to, you know, distribute an employee's annual salary over more pay periods, me which means you're earning slightly less per paycheck, but it balances out in the end. Or they could just keep the paychecks the same despite the extra pay period, in which case, you know, if you have a generous employer, you just earn a little bit more, an extra day's work, but for work that you did. So that's not really generous. Anyhow, it just balances out differently. Um, Also, salaried work often comes with the perk of a little bit more of a flexible schedule, or at least it's supposed to, (laughs) but it doesn't always. So, maybe you work 40 hours one week, over 40 hours in one week, but fewer than 40 hours another week with the understanding that it's all going to balance out in the end um, based on your workload. So, while workers with fixed pay are unlikely to get a special leap day bonus, it doesn't mean you're working for free today. Otherwise, I might have just stayed home.
1: Might have just taken the day off. (laughs) I know, right? Right? (laughs) Mm.
0: Ah, All right. Well, that is it for today. In the meantime, you can get ready for Economics on Tap tomorrow by subscribing to our newsletter. And in this week's newsletter, you will get a copy of our new Unofficial state cocktails zine. Uh, Longtime listeners will remember that some time ago we, you know, had a little contest of what were the best state cocktails. We got lots of submissions and we've picked some of the best. And so you will find some of our favorite recipes in our little cocktail zine. I'm going to be trying one out myself. And we do have a winner of the cocktail contest, as Ooh. well as some non-alcoholic options as well in case you decide to go alcohol-free tomorrow. And you can sign up for that newsletter at org slash smarter.
1: Wait, who decided the winner of the, of the cocktail contest? Did you?
0: I don't know. No, it wasn't me. I didn't do it.
1: Hmm. I think the producers of this Ooh. podcast have some questions to answer. But let me do yeah. this before I get us out of here. Two postcards waiting for me uh, in the studio today when I got here. Marissa put them on my uh, uh, desk here in the studio. It's a postcard from uh, New York City, which is actually really cool. We'll take a picture of it and put it on the show page. It says, Kind Kimberly, a resounding half full on physical media. I guess we were talking about this <laughs> at one point. Digital media purchases are a license which can be rescinded. Cheers, Beth in New York City, entertainment worker, 35 years old. So that's one. Here's another one. Dear Kai and Kimberly, this is dated 19 February 2024. Since Kai mentioned the mailing address on the 16 February episode of Make Me Smart, I knew it was my duty as a loyal listener to sit down with my trusty fountain pen and dash off a quick (gasps) note. Thanks for all that you do on Make Me Smart and the rest of the Marketplace portfolio. I appreciate how you've remained committed to facts, even when the world around us has become fact optional. I'm proud to be a marketplace investor and a supporter of my local public radio station, WBAA, in West Lafayette, Indiana. Yours, Ben Cotton. Well, Beth and Shout Cotton, out to the fountain pen. Thank you pens. so much. Shout out to that. That's what got you. The fountain pen. I heard the gasp.
0: I love fountain pens. I have my own little collection of fountain pens. I did not know that. i really happy. Yes. You're going to have to
1: so bring some tomorrow afternoon and show them on camera. People are going to want to see them. Oh, I'm okay.
0: See it. Well, yeah, I, I, I will bring several. Um, right. And I can't I believe I that. forgot this. Courtney what? and Marissa pointed out in the chat that we had a poll. That's oh. how we picked the winners, remember? <laughs> <laughs> a poll that we so, announced. <laughs> so I guess the hosts have some
1: explaining to do. <laughs> yes. Won't be the first time.
0: And and listeners voted in the newsletter. That's how uh, there All was right. a poll and the listeners voted. Oh and God. if we were more on top of we our suck. own Jesus. newsletter, oh we would God. have remembered that. Cause,
1: <sighs> so get the zine, <laughs> <can>. make a <laughs> cocktail, grab a beer, join us. We're going to have to probably have a couple after this one. On the YouTube live stream yeah. tomorrow starting at 3.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. We'll meet you there. That's really embarrassing. It
0: is. <laughs> Make Me Smart is produced by clearly people who know more than us. Right. Courtney Bergseeker. <laughs> Audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Ellen Rolfus writes the newsletter that I swear I read. Talia Minchaka is our intern.
1: Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital around here. That was pretty funny. That was pretty funny.
0: We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine... I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. ...to splurging on fast fashion. I was spending, like, all my tips. I was definitely spending, like... $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to
1: This is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.